Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Biblical Studies concentration at Ozark is for those who want to study the Bible at the deepest level. Your professors will guide you in the biblical languages and explore different methodologies of interpretation. The Biblical Studies concentration will make the text come alive, saturating you in the Word so that you can be transformed by the Word. So what's the next step? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and this episode features the Great Commandment Network. This was their first track session that they gave at last year's National Disciple Making Forum. And at the top, they explain what their ministry is and how they got started. And they also do a great job of describing what whole life discipleship is and also the reason that we all desperately need it. We've got four track sessions on tap from Great Commandments, so stick around for the next four episodes to hear more from them. So let's go ahead and jump in and hear from the Executive Director of Great Commandment Network, David Ferguson. Here we go. Thank you all for being here. My name is David Ferguson. We're going to tell you a little bit about the team that we work with. It's called Great Commandment uh, Network. We've been around, the team has been around almost uh, 40 years. Um, uh, some of us started in the counseling background uh, and the mixture of psychology and theology. Uh, a few of us spent time with Frank Minnerth and Paul Meyer uh, starting Christian uh, counseling clinics. Uh, our specialty back then was uh, trying to help uh, pastors in crisis. Ministry families in crisis, uh, attempted suicides, moral and ethical failures, eating disorders, all kinds of things. And it begins to give you a burden that if we've got that kind of challenges in the pulpit, I wonder if it's not kind of landing somewhere along the way. And so that began to shape a lot of things. We have developed partnerships over the last many years with about 22 different denominations and about 20 different parachurch ministries. We start basically with uh, trying to focus upon... Uh, this whole life discipleship message, beginning with pastor, uh, minister, uh, couples. We do a lot of work in making sure we love God and love our near ones. Does that sound biblical? Come on. We're going to talk about the great command. We're supposed to love God, love neighbor. Greek word neighbor means near one. And if you, how many of you are married? Guess who your near one is? This one's easy. So what we found in those psych hospitals is there was a whole lot of trying to love people somewhere out there in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, but they weren't making it work at home. Okay? I was one of those for the first 13 or so years of my ministry. And so well, we've had like 15,000 couples uh, go through two and a half day uh, gifted retreats uh, from about 50 countries of the world, just trying to look at what does it mean to make discipleship work with a few people. Uh, how many of you have children? Okay, that's what the Bible calls gifts from the Lord. And so it would be great if we could make discipleship work with uh, our own uh, kids, right? And then we may have a talk about, well, now we make it work with a household of faith. And then we make it work uh, as love on mission, missionally with people who don't know Jesus. 
And so in that context of working with a, a lot of denominational uh, uh, leaders, right before the, we bring them together, usually once or twice a year, right before the pandemic, bring eight or ten at that time denominational leaders together. What are the key challenges facing the church? And the top five were we need to grow our churches younger. I think you can agree with that. Uh, that we need to start looking more like our neighborhoods. Our neighborhoods have changed and our churches haven't. Uh, we've got to make a specific emphasis on passing on the faith to the next generations. Number four, we need to engage more of our uh, people that are sitting in the pews, sitting and soaking in the ministry. Okay, that about 80% of the church folks are consumers and not contributors. They are spectators and not serving saints. Uh, and then number five, that the church has got a really bad image uh, in the community uh, as being irrelevant. So those were some of the top five challenges that denominational leaders put out there uh, in uh, one of our gatherings right before the pandemic. And uh, along the journey for the last uh, eight or ten years, we've been working a lot on how do we intersect the issue of discipleship into all of this. And so we've come down with a few thoughts. Uh, among them uh, would be things like, uh, for any of you who have made the price and traveled to a discipleship conference, you at some level have got to wonder, why is discipleship not central to the life of a local church? Why is it so oftentimes some tangent? Is that right? Mm -hmm. You know, that it's kind of a tangent too oftentimes on church that's there. I don't, I'm not much of a musician. So too oftentimes we put discipleship on this uh, layer up here of it's kind of like having handbell choir or something. I'm not against handbells. <laughs> but I'm just saying discipleship ought to be core to the life of the church. Would you agree with that? Uh, and yet, tragically, it is typically not in the vast majority of churches. Why is that? And that put us on an intriguing uh, question about maybe we have not defined discipleship the way we should have been defining it. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the second thing was our exposure to what we call too oftentimes making disciples wasn't working. The two most common uh, wrong answers to how, to how do you know a disciple if one showed up? The two common wrong answers, we would argue, you'll see a little video clip if Dr. Alexander can make his tech work. Uh, I don't even know what a QR code is, so we'll see if he can make his tech work. Uh, the two most common answers are this. The disciple, uh, we have said for several decades is, basically knows more than most people. I came out of the Jesus movement, came uh, follower of Jesus uh, when I was 21, and immediately began to memorize scripture. So we were memorizing all kinds of scriptures. You walked across the campus, you had to pull a Bible verse out. One of your accountability leaders had you quote it. If you couldn't quote it, you walked on the grass. And all your discipleship folks, he walking on the grass, didn't know his Bible verse. It was really a shame-based discipleship, but anyway, I didn't realize that for a long time. <laughs> and uh, and then we'd memorize a large passage of scriptures. Now we're going to memorize the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We're going to memorize the Upper Room Discourse. We're going to memorize First Peter. You know, so now we're memorizing. Well, there was about a dozen of us. Second year, only seven. Third year, was only three of us left. I mean, this is hard discipleship, knowing stuff, you know. Well, what happened was the three of us developed an attitude. And the attitude was, well, there's many that are called. Yeah, there's only three of us that really chose. 
There's a broad road that leads to destruction. That's where those other nine are. We're on the narrow road. You see, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, knowledge can make you arrogant. Yes. Mm -hmm. And even knowledge of the Bible make you arrogant. Our churches are filled with people that can quote Bible verses faster than the preacher can preach them, and yet they can be some of the most cantankerous folks on the planet. So just knowing even Bible verses does not make a key metric for a disciple. Second typical wrong answer is a disciple does more than most people. In other words, we, they show up at stuff. I mean, if you got about five things a week going, man, you better show up at five. I mean, you don't show up at prayer meeting, you don't show up for visitation, you don't show up for small group, you start slipping into, a, you know, four out of five, three out of five, mm, three out of five, you're probably lost. <laughs> Just doing stuff. Okay. I like to, how many of you are pastors? Anybody a pastor? I love to say pastor. I bet there's some people in your churches that show up at stuff all the time. And if you're honest, you wish they wouldn't. <laughs> and some of you got faces just flew right between your mind right there. Yeah, I wish that wouldn't show up. And so knowing stuff and doing stuff does not make uh, a faithful disciple. So we're going to make an argument for a relational approach to discipleship. Okay? And we'll make an argument that uh, an effective outcome has got to be relational doesn't mean that knowledge doesn't matter, doing stuff doesn't matter, but it's not sufficient. The Holy Spirit has to lead us into yes, yes. things like a deepened love of the God who wrote the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if we don't get all the way to deepen love for the God who wrote the Bible, you stop too short. That's why we spend our first 10 years as Jesus freaks, filling our heads with knowledge, made us arrogant. And so we're going to say that a Discipleship outcome has to be relational, number one, and it has to be impossible to do apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. See, if you and I can pull it off, it's not going to produce Christ-likeness. And so we're going to kind of work on that a little bit as we go along. The other thing that we're going to be focused on, which was a couple of your questions, is that maybe we've got ourselves in a mess. At your leisure, Google something called the Great Reversal in the church. Great Reversal in the church. And you'll come up with something in the 1920s, 1930s, where up until that time in evangelical Christianity, it was very integrated into helping people in their relationships, in their wellness, in their social life. Think Salvation Army. Very integrated. Whole life. Well, in the 1920s, 1930s was something called uh, the rise of liberalism. So there wasn't just one way to heaven then. There was 10 or 12 ways to get to heaven. In fact, you could get there worshiping your navel or doorknobs. <laughs> and what happened was the evangelical church, when that begins to happen, the pendulum swung and the evangelical church moved away from anything that had to do with helping people beyond their faith. Think about America the evangelical church started hospitals in America. They owned the medical system. They owned the education system. Okay. And for the last maybe almost 100 years, the church too oftentimes has narrowly defined discipleship as we will disciple you in your faith, in your doctrine, in your Bible knowledge. But how about discipling people in their relationships as an example? Maybe we've let down on that. Any of you that work in the marriage family space, why do you have to convince 
a pastor or church leader that we ought to be equipping folks to live their faith at home. That, that shouldn't be tangential. Uh, that ought to be central because we need to disciple people in relationships. We need to disciple their own children. And so maybe we have narrowly taken John 10, 10, Christ came to give us life, give it to us abundantly, and we basically said we deal with abundance in their faith. If you need help in your relationships, we'll go somewhere else. Uh, wellness. How about one of the things the pandemic's done? Pandemic has uh, shown us the limitations of how little we have that is relevant to the needs of the people today. I mean, if you look at the mental emotional health challenges, people's depression, loneliness, okay, fear. I think the Bible has a lot to say about taking thoughts captive, perfect love, casting out fear, putting away anger, wrath, and bitterness. Would you agree with me? So are we discipling people in their mental emotional wellness? Managing their emotions before those emotions manage them. You see, if we don't disciple people in that, we narrowly constrict John 10.10 10 to just faith. Or discipling people in their vocation. Occupation is the Greek word for calling in Ephesians 4. Is the church really discipling people how to take their faith into the workplace? How many churches are really doing that? See, that is equipping saints for their calling. Their calling isn't just to show up five times a week at something we do. Is it not to take their faith into where God has planted them? And then the Bible has a lot to say, as was noted, about our stewardship, about our generosity, about the care for the least of these. And so holistic discipleship, whole life discipleship would say we need to broaden our definition of John 10.10, to include all the passages of scripture that talk about faith, relationships, wellness, vocation, calling, finances, and stewardship. Now, one of the things that that then relates to concerning the relevance of the church, we'll talk a little bit more about that, is we've been doing some pilot work in right now in about uh, four major cities, the L5 of Kansas City, DFW, uh, Columbus, Ohio, and South Florida, just added Charlotte, North Carolina. What we're doing is we're actually reaching through Google Ads seekers who are basically saying, do you need help and hope in your relationships with your depression or whatever? Overwhelming response to those, okay? And yet 80% of the churches who have raised their hand to say, we will receive some speakers, 80% of those churches have no community-facing ministry. Those seekers go into a church profile and say, what do you got to offer? And there's a picture of the church, a picture of the pastor or staff, the address of the church, and here's our service times, either in person or online. So if you are dealing with divorce or depression or suicide, show up at one of our meetings on Sunday. It's irrelevant. 80% of the church in America. Is it any doubt that 80% of the church in America, most people would say, are plateaued or declining? Mm -hmm which means no community-facing ministry, no Celebrate Recovery, no food banks, no Financial Peace University, no MOPS. Anybody remember MOPS? That's probably one of the first community-facing ministries back then. Uh, no helpful relationships. And so one of the things we'll be talking about is uh, how we can broaden our definition of discipleship to include a whole life perspective on life. Okay?
Dr. Alexander is going to dig you a little bit deeper in there uh, as we go along. So yours, Lewis. Right. I'm right on time. I just want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to try to show a video here. How is it that the first century church turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ? And we at times seem barely to survive. You know, I think one of the challenges and answers to that is that they were focused on making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And in our day, we seem to be really challenged by that. And that's the importance of a spirit-empowered faith. It seems that over the decades, we've emphasized only a rational knowledge uh, of truth, of scripture, and a behavioral practice of doing things for God. We've missed the importance of life in the spirit. In other words, Knowledge has made us arrogant. We know a lot of Bible stuff, but it's made us arrogant. Or all of our doing, if we're not careful, just makes us hypocrites. Even in my own life, I still remember the shock of the challenge of the great commandment to simply, hey, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And too oftentimes, my perspective on that for too many years has simply been, well, I'm going to love God by doing stuff for Him. And I remember the day. When the Lord said, now, David, if I needed stuff done, I'd get angels to do it, and they don't complain. No, you love me relationally. You love me by listening. You love me by showing up and giving thanks. And so when we talk about a spirit-empowered faith and spirit-empowered discipleship outcomes, we're talking about the reality that we must measure them based on are they relational and are they only possible through the power and person of the Holy Spirit. So when we say that a spirit-empowered disciple listens to and hears God. It's relational. It's only possible as the Holy Spirit allows us to hear and to listen. And so we're passionate about passing on a message and resources that we might see spirit-empowered disciples making disciples who make disciples. As you're interested in more information about that, just scroll down and you'll see many different resources and opportunities to participate, uh, both in resources and in training. And we hope you'll join what the Spirit of God seems to be doing as he's turning the world again upside down for Jesus Christ. All right, yeah, we've been able to develop about uh, 40 uh, discipleship outcomes. We were trying to explore what it, to really the question that was asked earlier, what did, would you know a disciple if one showed up? You know, what, what does a disciple look at, look like? How would you define one? And so we've been able over the course of about a, a decade to define about uh, 40 outcomes, and you have them, uh, and we'll begin to unpack some of these as we go along. Uh, you have them in this uh, Called to Love Like Jesus book uh, in Appendix 2, uh, but we'll begin to explore that um, together uh, and, and experience some of these outcomes together uh, over the course of the four tracks. Now, I met Dr. Ferguson uh, in 1979. I was a freshman in college, and uh, so we've been in a, a disciple-making relationship for over 40 years. Some of us take a little longer, okay? Uh, and it's really about, when we talk about disciple-making, I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but it's about relationships. It's not just about downloading knowledge. Uh, it's not just transactional. Discipleship is relational. Uh, I first went to uh, Dr. Ferguson out of my mother's bidding. Uh, she heard that he was a troubled teen and that, I, that we might have something in common. And uh, so apparently what we shared in common was a fast car. Uh, 
his car seemed to get him in trouble when he was a teenager. My car got me in trouble when I was a teenager. And so initially when I went to uh, sit under Dr. Ferguson's teaching, I, I was sort of a, uh, a, a disciple at, from afar. You remember that Jesus story uh, about um, the synagogue ruler? And, you know, he was around Jesus, heard Jesus preach, saw probably Jesus do miracles. But he wasn't really interested in a relationship with Jesus until his daughter got sick. Remember that? Mm -hmm. uh, that's sort of where, where I was. Um, I had met Dr. Ferguson, began to sit under some of his teaching. He even did my premarital counseling in 1983. But it wasn't until I had a marriage crisis in 91 that I realized something about my uh, discipleship was a little broken. Uh, I was coming more from a rational theology. My training, my master's PhD was all about a rational theology. I, mean, I, I studied under some of the uh, best Old Testament theologians in, at the time in the 80s uh, over in Oxford. Um, we had that conversation earlier about uh, Oxford and I studied with Rex Mason uh, who was at the time writing for Cambridge Bible, um, and uh, he was at uh, Regents Park, and uh, I studied with uh, Ernest Nicholson, who at the time was the provost at Oriel, and he was writing on God and Covenant, um, and so some great rational uh, theology, and uh, but you know what was missing for me in my marriage uh, was how to live relationally. Uh, Dr. Ferguson often asks, uh, who, who, who really discipled you and how to live with your wife in an understanding way? If you were to ask my wife that, she'd probably say, oh, that was me. I discipled Lewis in how to live in an understanding way. Uh, I remember my dad teaching me what not to do, you know, just, uh, you know, mom didn't like the fact that he was cussing, so he used other expressions to uh fill in for the cuss words like son of madunga jitterbugger whatever these words meant i don't know but uh i still remember them because instead of saying a foul word he would make up these words that was his best effort at not to offend my mom um and you know he quit chewing tobacco you know that was about as close as it came to him living um with my mom in an understanding way so i didn't i wasn't really discipled uh really in what to do uh, it wasn't until i sat under dr ferguson and he really began to pour into me to say lewis part of living with your wife in an understanding way is you need to learn how to remove her aloneness you need to experience genesis 2 18. it's just not good to be alone not just memorize that not just know how to you know do syntax and diagram with that not just know how to you know, parse the Hebrew words, but you need to ask your wife, are there some areas in our relationship in which you feel alone? And uh, I remember being kind of empowered with that question. I had never, we're eight years in a marriage, and I had never asked her, are there some areas in our relationship in which you're feeling alone? And he's, he's discipling me in a relational uh, theology and how to live this with other humans, uh, the book, and, and how to do the book with other humans. And so my wife, you, you know what, to my surprise, she had an answer for some areas <laughs> that she felt alone. 
And she identified three years in which she was feeling alone in our marriage. Um, one related to um, the kids. It was almost like, hey, didn't it take two of us to have these babies? And how come only one of us seems to be raising them? Uh, and, you know, and feeling like if, if they were going to get disciplined, if they were going to get educated, if they were going to get trained, uh, it was all on her that she was carrying the load. Um, related to the household. And again, it was this, this almost this attitude of don't two of us live here? And how come only one of us seems to be worried about whether it gets washed up, put up, cleaned, mowed? Uh, you know, there was some aloneness. She was feeling the load and carrying the load there. And, and related to our finance, you know, I had a finance question earlier. She's like, I mean, if I feel like if, you know, if it's ever going to get paid on time, if receipts are going to give or get kept. Back in the day, we used to keep this, you know, you have to write down in your checkbook uh, the log of your expenses. Thank goodness for an app these days. Uh, but she was carrying the burden. If it was ever planned for the future, she felt like she was the only one concerned. And so um, just trying, seeking to remove her aloneness. Uh, seeking to be relationally relevant, uh, learning how to be a, a father, not just uh, teaching them the book, but doing the book uh, with them. So, when we talk about a spirit-empowered faith, uh, we want to be. We want to. We sometimes say it expresses itself in the Great Commission, uh, Great Commission living, uh, which is interesting because you know recent study uh, that came out that said only that 51% of Christians don't even know what the Great Commission is. They couldn't, they couldn't quote what it is. So how are we going to ever fulfill it if we don't even know what it is? Um, that we need to live the Great Commission empowered by the Great Commandment. So we want to begin with the end in mind, which is to make disciples. Uh, that's so ingrained to me, I put it in my name. I don't know how you got through school. But, you know, the only way I got through school was through acrostics and acronyms. And so my name, Lewis, L-E-W-I-S, I made that into lovingly equipping wise, influential servants. I mean, it's just I wake up thinking that's my purpose. That's why I'm on the planet. That's the end in mind. We need to make disciples um, who make disciple makers. So we'll, we'll unpack what we mean by that as the end in mind. But then we also want to start at the right place, which is learning how to love God. Now, wouldn't that be cool? Think about the way that uh, where your discipleship programs oftentimes would start. Um, what, what are some of the places that people often start with discipleship? What would you say? When you become a Christian, what, what, do, you, what do you usually learn? Go to the Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. That's what I was told. Bible-believing, Bible-teaching Wow, you're double dipping there. Okay, that's good. Um, yeah, someone else. Yes, sir. Do they clearly understand the gospel and you know where they at, where they're at in their own personal spiritual journey? Have they made that decision? Mm-hmm. So okay. assurance of their salvation. Assurance of their salvation. Yeah, yeah. And the things you should do: read the Bible, pray. Read the Bible, pray. You better be tithing. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. And fasting. And fasting. Yeah. Okay. The disciplines. So you know, starting about the discipline. How about if we start with loving God? We teach people how to love the Lord. And, and what does that look like? What does that 
sound like? Is that a cool starting place for discipleship? Mm-hmm. Learning how to love the Lord? Uh, learning how to listen to Him. You know, Dr. Ferguson mentioned that one of these uh, measurable, observable outcomes, and as we kind of unpacked it, uh, as we kind of came up with these 40 outcomes, we'll give you more of the backstory of how we came up with these 40. Uh, they were uh, not, we didn't want to have them man-made because you have to defend them. We wanted them spirit inspired and breathed so they came out of scripture so you it defends they defend themselves uh, but one of those was learning to listen to and hearing God see one of the ways I think we we love God is we take time to listen uh, saints listen the young Samuel uh, you might remember Eli said told the young Samuel go go say to the Lord speak Lord your servant is listening you know, servants listen, saints listen to the Lord. And so teaching people how to love the Lord by just listening to Him. And, and we'll get more into that as we go, but uh, that being a great starting point, and then certainly loving others um, as, as we've been uh, loved by Christ. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So what is that? What does that mean? Your definition of loving others? Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, and, and part of that is, is going to be uh, living the one another's of the New Testament, for instance. Uh, so we, we sometimes talk about uh, and emphasize 10 of the one another's. Uh, so I need to learn how to accept you, even your differences. Um, you know, and, and that's, that, that's going to cause me to grow as, as, a, as a believer, is learning how to get outside my comfort zone, to accept one another as Christ accepted you. Um, and, and learning to be good at loving you by giving you acceptance, uh, giving you encouragement. The Bible says, encourage one another every day while it's so called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we've taken these one another's uh, of the New Testament, and, and which is really what the church was meant to be for one another, to say this is part of how we love one another, um, that we are to... Um, not only accept and encourage, but we are to respect one another, that, that we are to support one another, carry each other's burdens. And so we'll, we'll look at and unpack 10 of those as, as expressions uh, of the manifold grace of God, uh, of, his, of his love uh, toward others. All right, so uh, as Dr. Ferguson mentioned uh, earlier, we took this, this verse 
Ephesians 4.11, that God has gifted you all uh, with some uh, very cool gifts. He gives some as apostles and some as uh, prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of their service, their ministry. And so we took this word serve or minister. We think it's uh, pretty orthodox to say saints should serve. And uh, we began to look at that uh, throughout the scriptures. And we came to these four dimensions. Uh, they kind of cluster into these four main areas. So a disciple is one who's going to, is called to love or serve the Lord. Uh, this is the Christians at Antioch in, in Acts 13. And by the way, this is actually in Appendix 2. Um, if you want to look in Appendix 2, these few little pages here um, took us about 10 years uh, on, a, on a discipleship commission to, to really fare it out. Um, and so we want to, we want to, you remember the saints at Antioch, they, they took time to uh, hear God, to minister to him, to serve him by listening, because he speaks to them. Uh, we're to, to live his word, or to serve his word. And uh, these were the apostles as they, in Acts chapter 6, as they began to say, you know, we're going we're gonna to let deacons serve or deep food while we're going to serve the word. Uh, we're going to minister the word. And then in, uh, we are to love people or to serve people. This is the Galatians 5.13, that we are through love to serve one another. And then as, as we talked about in, in this whole area of evangelism, we, we think evangelism is just a part of discipleship. That's where we are to uh, be a part of a ministry of reconciliation uh, to others. Real quickly, um, we've also been able to kind of explore a, an age stage model of discipleship. And... Um, we, we, we're looking for uh, one of the earliest writers in, in Christendom to begin to actually talk about stages of discipleship. In other words, what, what, are, what are the predictable stages that a disciple will go through? And uh, <clears throat> we found these um, stages written about by uh, Hippolytus, not to be confused oftentimes with hip, Hippopotamus, we would say. <laughs> uh, Hippolytus was one of the early church fathers who uh, begin to talk about his apostolic succession. He was, he was discipled by Irenaeus, who was discipled by Polycarp, who was discipled by John, who was discipled by Jesus. And looking back on that whole succession, he wrote a book called The Apostolic uh, Succession, uh, The Apostolic Tradition. And he talks about uh, four stages. The first stage is the explore stage. So we've got to create safe spaces around us where people can explore the truths of the faith. And this is what Dr. Ferguson was for me. He was a safe place where I could begin to explore some of the key truths of the faith. How do I live this faith in relationship with this woman that I'm married to and uh, in, in a way that we're thriving and that we're flourishing? Um, and we're doing it better after 38 years than we've ever done it before. Um, and it, it, that's a good thing. Um, but we've got to explore the truths of the faith. 
uh, another stage that uh, Hippolytus talks about is this embrace. That's when you begin to embrace the truth uh, for yourself. It's not just something that you're uh, observing in others. And that's another thing about these outcomes is you remember uh, in uh, Acts how they had observed that the disciples had been with Jesus. Uh, we wanted these outcomes to be observable. And so let's just say that, that I've observed, you know, in Dr. Ferguson, there's something about his marriage that is intriguing to me. It's kind of like the burning bush that Moses turns aside to, to take a look at. And I want more of that for my marriage. Uh, that's where I begin to embrace some of the truths of how that he's seeking to live and how he's removing Teresa's aloneness uh, in, her, in their marriage. Uh, the third stage is where I begin to experience it. It's not just uh, I'm doing it now and again, but I begin to experience it. It's, it's become a frequent part of my, I'm often uh, living this truth. I'm often seeking to live with my wife in an understanding way. And then finally, um, I'm able to express or teach others. And I'm able to bring together another group of men and, and teach them and pass on to them some of the best practices of living with your wife in an understanding way. We found this model helpful to kind of assess where are the people we're discipling, you know, what stage are they in and how do we get them to a whole nother level? And we'll talk more about that. Is it? Yes, it's in the book. We'll get into uh, talking about how you do that. Uh, how you move the needle. I've taken some of your, fine, your time, Dr. Ferguson, but your video w may took my, some of my time. So. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that little image is in your uh, little your, your little handout here. Let me kind of uh, uh, back up a little bit on a couple of things that Lewis mentioned. First of all, in this little Call to Love book, we actually put this together as an anthology of famous people. Uh, so you got stuff in there from Andy Stanley, from Mark Batterson, from... Uh, you know, all kinds of different famous people, as we say. Uh, Joni Erickson Todd is in there, mm -hmm. Josh McDowell's in there, uh, those kind of folks. And actually integrated this to be actually a, uh, a resource for new Christians or new church members. Mm -hmm. It starts with a concentric circle model of let's teach people how to love God. I think that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. And I think the scripture argues that, right? And then it's like... That begs the question, how do you love God? We've talked a little bit about that. And we've said, you know, one of the ways you love God is listen. How many of you are parents? How many of you are parents? Okay. What if one of your kids showed up, mom, dad, I don't care. They may be out of the house. They showed up, mom, dad, can I come by the house and uh, just take a little time to listen to what you want to speak into my life? Now, after you have awakened from having passed up at such a miracle that they would want to listen, I think you will agree that communicates love. Is that right? Some of you are married, okay? Husbands, right? You slow down, listen to a spouse, communicates love, okay? Well, that's what Acts 13, 2 is talking about. So those three Greek words, two Hebrew words, are right there in that appendix. You take those five words, three in Greek, two in Hebrew. The most common one is diakadia, to serve. You trace those through the scripture. You got 220-something, and then you cluster them, and they will cluster in. There's a number of them where we need to love or minister to the Lord. That was what Acts, the uh, Saints at Antioch were doing. 
Notice what they were doing. They were ministering unto the Lord. What were they doing? We probably say they were worshiping. In fact, in some translations say they were worshiping. What else were they doing? They were listening to the Lord. How do we know that? Because it says, the Spirit said unto them, put your hands now on Paul and Barnabas for the work I've called them. So we start with the premise of let's love the Lord. And then let's love a few other people closest to us. Uh, and that to us is a biblical model of loving uh, neighbors. So uh, th this idea of then clustering these around, let's love the Lord, let's minister his word, okay? Again, that's the uh, first conflict in the church. We've got deacons who are serving platters of food. What are ministers supposed to be doing? How many of you preach, do something, Sunday's coming, you know, that kind of thing? What we're supposed to be doing is serving people the word of God. Ministry. How do we do that? We do that by our own vulnerability, by our own humility. We allow the Holy Spirit to convict people with the word, but we serve people with the word. We minister. The third one is this idea, that your question, how do you love people? You love people by serving them. You love people by serving them. And ultimately, how do we know it? That's John 13, 34. We need to love others as we have first been what? Been loved. So to Lewis's point, Dr. Alexander's point, has, has, has God accepted you? What do you think? Yes. Then Romans 15, 7 makes sense. Accept other people as you've been what? Accepted by God. Has God ever comforted you? Yeah. Therefore, he says, do what to other people? Comfort. Comfort other people. So you begin to get an understanding of how those work. Uh, the other thing about those stages, really quickly, is that's helped us define for churches how do you uh, view a church discipleship model. Meaning that if some of you are familiar with the Willow Creek Reveal study, that maybe a lot of events and stuff happens, but our discipleship is about an inch deep. The Reveal study would say discipleship breaks down between embrace and experience. In other words, that discipleship breaks down because we can bring people together and they believe this stuff and maybe they even do it on Sunday, but basically experience means it's not happening Monday through Saturday. And so the real challenge becomes, can we actually live this stuff out Monday through Saturday? And then ultimately, can we express it as our identity to actually disciple other people? So if you were to just use that model really quickly, uh, if any of you, anybody work with children? Like, see, okay, if you work with children, it would be like, what if you could have a vision that says that the focus of our children's ministry is to make sure that all of our children have explored the fundamentals of the faith uh, by the time they're six years old. That they've explored the fundamentals of who is God, who are they, who is Jesus, uh, how do you have him in your life, to begin to explore that. And then maybe you now begin to say, how, what if during those middle school years they could actually embrace that as their personally? It's not my parents' faith, it's my faith. They embrace that personally. And then what if what we would call high school or that kind of issue, what if that was when we begin to equip students to say, what if you live this stuff Monday through Saturday? Well, that would be an exciting vision for youth. Right? Mm -hmm. What if we actually live this? Which means if we actually experience a Bible verse on Sunday, you know what? That Bible verse will work on Monday. <laughs> it's really exciting. Yeah. We've got a bunch of students in the 
townships of South Africa, and that's how they measure their discipleship. So at the end of every day, they're posting on social media and they're texting one another, here's the Bible verse I did today. Here's the Bible verse I did. I spoke a gentle word when somebody was angry. I spoke an edifying word. I rejoiced with somebody today. I comforted somebody. Here's the Bible verse that I did. And that becomes their metric in youth ministry. Here's the Bible verse I did. That's a great metric for Sundays. I mean, this gets pretty radical, but it basically says, what Bible verse did my people experience last Sunday? That's a real interesting one. And uh, that's one of the interesting things that begins to happen. You begin to say, is it possible that we need to do more than just know the truth and hear the truth and exegete scripture, but we actually go ahead and want? Just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it. All right? Uh, so we might try this real quick. Would it be all right if we just did a Bible verse real quick? Y'all been sitting for about 40 minutes. Be all right if we did a Bible verse? Some of you is thinking, which one are we going to do? Right? <laughs> I don't want Judas to go out and hang himself. I don't want to do that Bible verse. Right? So what if you just stood up in just a moment and you actually talked to somebody else? Be all right if a few folks got together and you actually talked to one another? Right? It won't, it won't, it won't take in 90 seconds. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to stand up, and you're going to share a positive, fun, enjoyable memory from your growing up years. This is a great memory from a sporting event, first fishing trip, first time you caught a fish, great birthday party, you know, a, a great family vacation. I don't, my, my father brought home a little black cocker spaniel puppy. I was four years old. Every other kid had a dog. I didn't have a dog. I remember that when I was four years old. I meant the first, first fish I caught with my granddad. I'm stalling to give you time to think of a positive, <laughs> fun memory. And all we're going to do is we're going to stand up, and you're going to share that, okay? We don't have time for paragraphs, just a couple sentences. I remember when I was four years old, my dad brought this puppy home. Got it? Mm -hmm. And then when your partner shares that, you're going to do Romans 12, 15. It says rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm -hmm. So after you hear that, you're going to celebrate with them. Would that be all right if we celebrate it? Yeah. Come on, we're not good at this. I promise you, we're just not good at it, Okay. Some of you are going to respond out of your head. I promise you, you're going to say, you know, the reason that probably happened was because of this. You're going to analyze somebody that's rejoicing. You're not going to rejoice with them, you know, or, or you're going to minimize it. Well, is it my turn now? Can I share with you? No. Rejoicing has to do with, man, that's great. I'm glad that happened. You can actually high-five somebody if you're not too scared to high-five them uh, or whatever. You ready to do this? All right, stand up. Just share just 30 seconds. Share a positive, fun memory. Celebrate with somebody. Just do Romans 12, 15. You'll survive. Good. Let's don't miss this. We talked about one of the ways you love the Lord is you listen to him. You know one of the other ways you love the Lord? You do his book. He wrote it, preserved it, protected it, and he looks down, and I'm convinced you brought joy to the heart of God by doing half a Bible verse. Do you know that would work in church? Some of you are scared to death. You mean to tell me I speak less, I let them talk? It'd be radical. But I promise you it'd be different because one of the metrics Dr. Alexander mentioned is do people leave less alone from church than when they came. Do they leave less alone? Well, that has to do with the commitment 
uh, that we have been created to relate to him and to other people. So you survived that, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Did you notice the energy in the room? Yeah. I promise you, there, there's a great joy being able to say, we're going to do a Bible verse. We got a lot of ministers that are they're, they're rethinking homiletics and preparing sermons based around what if I head in all my exegesis toward actually doing a Bible verse. Could be interesting. And you'll find that that resource we just gave is filled with things called experiencing scripture. Okay. Um, let me, let me uh, give you one little quick idea then uh, that we'll give you a little bit of information on on a, a text platform we're using, having to do with one of the simple steps of getting more people involved in discipleship. And that has to do with a statistic I mentioned earlier about 70, 80% of the people in most churches are just spectating. You know, in other words, if they show up, and that's a big if on the other side of the pandemic, but if they show up, they're there for content. And if we don't give them connection, they're going to go away just alone, as alone as when they came. And so how do you get saints beginning to be more engaged in serving other people? Well, one of the first things that I think you might think about is how do we get people, saints, more engaged in the simple discipline of praying for other people? The simple discipline of praying for other people. And so in the last six months or so, we've been developing for a number of denominations, a strategy of what if we prayed for our pastors, we just finished 31 days of prayer for your pastor in October for pastor appreciation across a number of different denominations. And we had denominational headquarters saying, what, what if we actually prayed for our pastors? Well, that's a novel thought. And, and actually here is what we're praying for you. So they actually said, here's what we're praying for you today across the dimensions of flourishing. If you're tracking David Kinnaman's and Barna's research, you're actually giving us a great baseline in America of how people are flourishing in their faith, relationships, wellness, vocation, and finances and stewardship. And what you're finding is church people aren't flourishing any better than the general population in their relationships, emotional, mental wellness, vocation, or stewardship. That's tragic. Would you agree with Matt? <laughs> in other words, if, if John 10, 10 is really true, we're supposed to have an abundance, there ought to be some difference. That's what whole life discipleship begins to help us realize. And so one of the things, imagine that you, uh, in fact, if you look to the story of Jesus, one of the things that he did, first of all, he modeled praying. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And then he actually equipped his disciples to what? Right. To pray. That's one of the first easy steps in getting people to serve other people. Why? Because it's one of the first steps to begin to think more highly of other people than you do yourself. See, spectators are thinking more highly of themselves. And so what if we could just simply, now we're saying, okay, here's what we prayed for you pastors. And we said, now pastors, here, this is what we prayed for you. Why don't you share this same prayer with your people? Hey, here's what I'm praying for you this week. So imagine, pastors, you were just sharing, hey, once a week, here's what I'm praying for you this week. And then you shared with your people, why don't you pray that for somebody in your life? Some family member, friend, co-worker, or neighbor. Pray the same prayer. You know, one of the reasons that people don't are not faithful in prayer, it's not that they don't know why they ought to pray. 
or how to pray. They know they need to have a devotional time. They know they need to do something uh, as a discipline. They oftentimes quit because they don't know what to pray. I mean, after you've prayed the same four or five sentences every day, it gets kind of boring and you quit. So what if we could equip saints in what to pray? So what if it was a simple discipleship strategy that says, hey, here's what I'm praying for you this week. Why don't you take a moment to pray that for another person? You can actually do that in church. You can actually put something on a screen with a funny QR code or whatever uh, that says, here's what I'm praying for you. Okay, uh, Why don't you take time right now to pray that for somebody else that the Lord puts on your heart? Now, here's what happens. If we begin to pray for other people, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit, I think, shows up and says, you know what? Now that you begin to pray for this person, why don't you think about caring for that person? Mm -hmm. how, how about you being a part of the answer to your prayer? And then not only do we pray for we care, maybe it's share. Why don't we just share with that person? So one of the simple ways uh, that Dr. Alexander will give you uh, is a little text code. If you have an interest in it, we'll share you some pray, uh, prayer uh, ideas on what to pray, uh, a little thing called Disciples Pray Resource Collection. And we're praying around those dimensions of flourishing. We're going to pray about faith. We're going to pray about relationships. We're going to pray about <coughs> wellness. And so in each of our little workshops, we'll highlight one of those and... Uh, so as we finish up today, he can talk to you a little bit about uh, how you can pray in faith. The other thing that you have information on is some online courses that we do that kind of train people how to do those. And so if you want to text Forum 2021 to that funny number up there, uh, it'll send you some prayer ideas, I think, once a week between now and the end of the year or something like that. So you'll get 10 or 12 of them uh, one a week. And they will follow that order of faith, relationships, wellness, vocation, and finances. It's all yours, sir. Yeah, so you just uh, open up your text. And to the, to the uh, in the to field, you put the number in. And then you just text that form 2021 if you want this catalog in these uh, five areas of flourishing. And you'll get little push prayers uh, where you get praying scripture um, in these five uh, areas as well. Uh, as Dr. Ferguson mentioned, uh, what you have in the book here, uh, this is a great book to use. We, we, we in our, on our church staff, uh, I go to a church in Round Rock, Texas called Redemption City Church. And we, as a staff, part of our staff development is we work through this book together. And uh, just assigning each one of our team members a different day and just as we would meet together weekly uh, work through it as our own staff development there's it's filled with experientials and um, touches on these um, discipleship outcomes what you'll find in here an emphasis on how you move the needle in spiritual transformation uh, if we go back to this image how do you move disciples along these four stages of discipleship and we'll emphasize you'll see uh, an emphasis in this in this particular uh, book that uh, one of the ways you do that is by what dr ferguson just talked about you got to experience scripture uh, and so we need to have these uh, these opportunities where we're experiencing scripture together we're doing the book that's one of our sources of light 
You remember the passage where Jesus said to his disciples, walk in the light while the light is still with you, lest the darkness overtake you? Uh, we explore uh, in discipleship three sources of light, one of them being the Word. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. One of the books that we have out on the table out there is called Relational Discipleship, and in um, chapter 6, it unpacks uh, how to experience Scripture uh, together. Um, another source of light is Jesus. We've got to have fresh encounters with Jesus. Sometimes we say, for many of our Christians, their uh, first encounter with Jesus has been their last. We need to have these fresh encounters with Jesus to move the needle in our, in our spiritual transformation, to get from one stage to the next. We've got to have these fresh encounters. And then uh, fellowship is the other source of light, where Jesus said, uh, he said of himself, I'm the light of the world. And so we need to have an encounter with him, these fresh encounters with him. But then he said to his disciples, you're the light. And it's through fellowship that we, we begin to grow and move the needle uh, in our spiritual transformation. And so that's how we get people along these different stages um, of discipleship. I thought we'd kind of end on experiencing um, one from uh, uh, this particular book. It's on page 49, where we're going to experience a Bible verse. It's Ephesians. I love this Bible verse. It's Ephesians 3.18. Um, and what we might do is kind of get back with your partner here in just a moment, and we'll actually pray this for one another, um, pray this over one another. And uh, so Paul is writing here, just a, it, this is an experience of uh, what we call uh, the Spirit-Empowered Outcome L8, Loving the Lord, uh, discipleship outcome number eight. Uh, we love the a spirit empowered disciple demonstrates a consistent, bold, and believing prayer. That that our prayer is meant to be uh, disciplined. That we pray regularly. Uh, that we are bold in our prayer. So let's let's get together and let's just do this with one another. With your partner, would you just pray uh, this prayer with one another? that God would help us to fully understand his love for us um, and to live that out in very meaningful ways. Awesome. That was great stuff from the Great Commandment Network team. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. And I just want to say sorry for the awkward ending there. They kind of branched off and did some prayers together. And that's the thing with these track sessions and the recordings is these are live events with real disciple makers from all across the globe coming together to learn. And these track sessions work really well in helping people in that way. So sorry that it ended weird, but I just wanted to save you the awkward crowd of people mumbling prayers together, so you won't have to listen to that. But hey, that brings up a really good point. We do have the forum coming up right around the corner, and you can be a part of awesome track sessions like this one live and in person. So go to discipleship.org and buy your tickets today. All right, y'all, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>